0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in many this practice of awareness into daily life, which is uh, often what people are concerned about. They want to know how to be skillful in relationship, how to be skillful with a job, how to be skillful dealing with their bodies and living in a community. What does that look like? And in this chapter in particular called The Human Family. Ajahn Sumedho raises some questions about roles and identity. Like what is the skillful way to relate to roles, social roles, being a partner, being a parent, being a son or daughter, being a citizen, being a boss, being an employee. And I'm sure you've recognized that um, we're kind of damned if we do and damned if we don't. You know, some of us have this inclination to reject all of the roles that are put on us. You know, to reject the role of being the son, the good son or the good daughter. Or to reject the role of, you know, being the good citizen. And so we're sort of anti roles, anti responsibility, don't want to be pigeonholed, feel uh, oppressed if somebody expects us to sort of toe the line or behave in the way that other people behave. And uh, it makes, usually makes our life messy if we have that chip on our shoulder. And the other extreme is also messy, you know. Trying to please, trying to live up to other people's expectations or the society's expectations, trying to be the perfect parent or the perfect partner or the perfect, you know, employee so that the boss likes us and thinks we're great, the teacher likes us. These extremes, we could say, are um, just the acting out of our self centered neuroses. You know, we're trying to get something from the world. Either we're trying to get something from the world by rejecting it. So what we're trying to get is we're trying to confirm this view that it doesn't matter. You know, forget this. Or if we're trying to get something by trying to get a particular response from the world. So instead of thinking about the world to make some point or to get something, We can think of our relationship to the world, which includes our families, our lovers, our employers, our people who work for us, that they are there to help illuminate, to help us see something about our heart, about our mind. So we still have to, so to speak, play the game. We have to be in the world. But the point isn't, to, like, do it right or to forget that, not do it right. The point is to learn something about our mind and heart. So this is from Ajahn Samadho's chapter, it's chapter 16, The Human Family. He says, At present, we tend to be more concerned with ourselves than with our families. This is an age in which individualism has been emphasized to the point of absurdity. The opportunity that we have to develop as individuals in the modern world is quite amazing, isn't it? Each of us has been given free reign to be self-sufficient to be a self-sufficient, independent person. We are told to be a personality, to develop our creativity, to develop to develop our lives in any way we want as free individuals. We can do what we personally want to do, whether our family likes it or not. Now, the problem with glorifying individualism as an end in itself is that it promotes a neurotic and meaningless existence. Just being a free agent, an individual who can do what he or she wants, can give us certain pleasant moments. And we can appreciate that in some ways. But at other times it is very depressing not to be truly related to anyone, not to be able to serve anyone. There's something in all of us, both men and women, that makes us want to give ourselves. We would all like to sacrifice or give ourselves to another person or to a cause, to something that is beyond ourselves. So this is something we can learn by being part of the world, being in relationship, and all the different ways that we tend to be in relationship, is we can learn this basic principle that if we live solely for our own benefit, kind of following our own desires, we tend to feel alienated and apart and dissatisfied. And then even if we try harder to do that, we just feel more alienated and more apart. And so, fortunately, you know, if we're lucky at least, we end up finding something that we can dig into, that we can give ourselves to. You know, maybe we end up creating kids, and so there we are, a parent. Or, you know, we end up falling in love, or getting involved in an intimate relationship, or having a job that seems meaningful to us. So we can instead of this happening in a haphazard way, we can systematically reflect on this, reflect on how we're using, how we're relating to the world. We can think of all kinds of uh, ways that people practice commitment, and we can just reflect on what is useful about that, and what's a problem about that? So get rid of the ideas, the fixed notions that I need to be in a committed relationship in order to be happy. Or I need to be a parent in order to be happy. Or I need to have success in the world, my job to be happy. But to really look directly. Like what is it about our participation, or relationship that is healing or leads to a real happiness, a lasting happiness, not just a temporary happiness. And what of these desires or these ideas are hollow, don't really lead anywhere. So Ajahn Sumedho, of course, talks about monasticism because he's a Buddhist monk. He's a Westerner, but a Buddhist monk. And he talks about, you know, one of the things about being a monk or a nun is, then you have this this sort of code or this set of rules, lifestyle, that you're committed to. And it, it, and it sort of takes us out of ourselves because we're no longer having to figure out what I want to do, because it's already determined what we're going to do, because we've committed to this lifestyle, to this code of conduct. And I'm sure those of you who have kids probably know this very well. I don't have children, so I can only imagine, but when, especially when you have a young child, it's a it's an amazing degree of self self sacrifice, where, and I would assume it's relatively easy, uh, meaning that it's relatively easy to care about your own child, and therefore it's relatively easy to do whatever that child needs, at least to some degree, and I, uh, as much as as it seems like it would be a pain to be a parent of a young child, in terms of the demands, it also seems like it would be freeing, because then we don't have to figure out what will make me happy, like, what I should be doing with myself. I mean, just think about how much time we're worrying about what we should do with our lives. And then if you have a kid, those questions just don't exist anymore. <laughs> it's like, you know, what do I need to do to? get these diapers washed or this done or that done or get enough sleep so I can actually get up when the child gets up in the morning and it's the same it can be the same with particular jobs too that we really care about, that we're really committed to churches you know, religious spiritual organizations that we're committed to I'm sure soldiers feel this way at least some people committed to social issues, social change. And so when we think about commitment in the, to the world, it's really useful to look at, like, well, what happens when that commitment is forced on us? Like we're made to be a soldier, or made to be a parent. We didn't want to, but all of a sudden we're a parent. Forced to, you know, be part of some institution, as opposed to when we voluntarily join and this is so much a part of the teachings of the Buddhas to um, really look at our life in terms of skillful means like to voluntarily to willingly receive our life as it is to really receive our life situation as it is because otherwise If we don't, we take things from the point of view of a victim and it it, uh, creates a tendency to want to resist and struggle and blame and distract ourselves from all the stuff we don't like. But if we have a welcoming attitude, if we voluntarily, happily even, receive the conditions of our life as they are, willingly participate it doesn't mean we we don't make choices it just means that once a choice has been made or once a life situation has shown up then it's shown up so then we participate it's like we use it to learn we use it to reflect on the nature of the mind and it's really a a different way so you know mostly our conventional way of living our lives is that we're using the world to feed the self. So we have this self here that has certain fears and certain desires and so we're using our participation in the world to feed those needs and to avoid those fears. That's just the way animals are in the world. But as a spiritual practice we can use the world in a different way so we're less concerned about what situation shows up or circumstance shows up and we're really using the different circumstances whether we're a parent or a monk or a nun or a lover or a single we just use the situation to look, to reflect on the mind oh it's like this this is how it is And we can really look at one of the um, basic patterns, which is this pattern of uh, seeking to feed the self, following the needs, desires, fears of the self, instead of using our life to understand the self, to understand the mind. so we can just look at our own lives right now and we need just to get a sense of um, these unquestioned beliefs that exist in our own mind about relationships whatever they may be for you so it could be your relationship to the world at large a role that you are real uh, committed to or attached to or in terms of intimacy with another, another person Or success or jobs. So just get a sense of what our perceived needs are in terms of how we are in the world, how we relate to the world. And just have a sense of these unquestioned or fixed beliefs that we live with in terms of our relationships to the world. Like, what do we mean by relationship, or what are our expectations? One way to turn it around, the reason that something like becoming a monk or a nun, or becoming a parent, or becoming really committed to something, like even committed to common ground, or committed to your daily sitting practice, Any kind of um, strong commitment is it creates the context to notice the part of the mind that wants to do whatever it wants to do. So whenever we make a commitment to anything, like we make a commitment to another person to be in a committed relationship, well then what happens? Then we start to notice all the people we're attracted to all of a sudden. and we start to feel maybe a little confined. Or, if, you're a di- if you have a different kind of personality, then you might start noticing all the things that are imperfect about this person you're committed to, and like uh, different agendas for how you might fix them, make them new and improved. <laughs> or just to help them more fully become who you thought they were when you decided to become committed. <laughs> So, I think it's important not to think that commitment's better than non-commitment, because non-commitment is just a different kind of commitment, you know. Like I was saying at the beginning, to be the rebel is really just as much of a stance, a fixed view, as to be the compliant child, you know, who does whatever society, or the boss, or your parents, or your lover tells you to do. Both are fixed. So what we want to do is not be so concerned about that, but just see what we can learn. So if we're in that sort of compliant mode, that's just our personality, just with the way that this mind has been conditioned to kind of be good, to oppress others, to try to impress others, then we just, we just look at what that is and maybe make some choices that illuminates that pattern for us. But we have to do it voluntarily, that's the key. I'll read a little bit more from Ajahn Sumeru's book. This is a section that's called Finding Balance Without Traditional Roles. So he's talking more from this rebel point of view. If we come from the idealistic position that believes we are all equal, that we're all exactly the same, there is no difference. And this is often, uh, this is sort of a Western view, you know, part of the, being a Westerner is this uh, rejection of sort of the old guard, the old way. And I know that is just a stereotype, but there's some truth to it. So I think that's why he brings this up first. He says um, "Then in many situations our relationships will be very difficult to define, won't they? Who's going, to be, who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to empty the dustbin? Who's going to lead? Who's going to follow? If we feel we are all the same, then we can become confused because we don't know how to relate to each other in a structure or in a hierarchy of duties and responsibilities. So sometimes, if we are attached to the ultimate view of equality and freedom, we can become very confused, disgruntled, and even threatened by the practical side of life. In the practice of Dhamma, we are opening the mind to the way things actually are. We begin to notice that nature itself is hierarchical, (coughs) that there is always some form or structure, and that when you have form, you are always going to have sequence one is going to be going one is always going to follow be followed by two and two is always going to be followed by three a is followed by b and b is followed by c you can't say a is the same as b if you spell everything with an a it would be meaningless wouldn't it in the conditioned world we recognize that there are sequences now if we take a fixed position on hierarchy we become tyrannical Someone who says that they have to be the boss all the time, always number one and never number two, becomes a tyrant. But on the other hand, an idealistic egalitarian, someone who says we must always be equal and always the same, is setting up the situation for confusion and contention. When it's time for a meal, everyone wants to be first in line. But if we are willing to designate a sequence, we can relate to that sequence. That's a relationship. You are relating as senior or junior, teacher or student, parent or child. A sequence provides a structure for relationships so that we know how to live with each other without endless conflicts and confusion. I've been working for a long time now with somebody in the mental health system, a young man um, with some mental health problems. And he's been in some of the state hospitals and uh, and psych wards at some of the hospitals and group homes over the last few years and uh, just frustrated with uh, being in the mental health system and all the different ways he's been there and uh, one of the things we talk about is just uh, the skill of being able to play the game the skill that we need as human beings to be able to be in relationship, in a defined relationship with organizations, with other people. And that's actually a skill, to be able to be willing, first of all, to be able to recognize what the rules are, and to be willing to, to accept the rules because it's skillful to accept the rules at times. I'm not saying it's always, it's always skillful to accept the rules, but it is skillful to be able to discern what the rules are and to use them when it's useful to use them. I mean, we can imagine how, how uh, difficult a life it would be if we had the kind of personality that always had to reject the rules. I mean, what a trip that would be, all life long, looking for rules to reject, looking for authority figures to resist you know and of course it would be just as dissatisfying to be to have a personality that was looking for a leader to follow the whole life long you know looking for somebody to submit to looking to, for an organization to submit to a view or a sort of religious ideal to submit to so we want our life to be the opposite of that instead of some kind of blind way We use the world, we use our relationships in the world as a way of uh, uh, revealing something about our heart. This is another way of talking about the middle way. You know, in Buddhism that concept is used a lot between the two extremes. How, How do we relate to our partners in terms of the middle way? Not being afraid of commitment, but not being needy for commitment either and i I remember when when and I decided my wife and I decided to get married, um, we talked about this I was let's see ninety three I was thirty five years old when I got married, and I hadn't been really in too many relationships for about eight years. I hadn't been in any relationships in eight years. Prior to getting involved with Win, and you know, when we talked about what it meant to get married, and you know, and we understood—we both, I think, understood quite well—that it's just a construct. It's just a word, marriage. You know, I mean, what does that mean to get married? How does that make a difference? What does commitment mean? And we looked at that, and for me, it was—I felt like trying to understand the middle way, like not being blinded by this this word marriage and the concept and the way that our minds had been conditioned to be idealistic about marriage as a concept, as an ideal. That you get married and then that means something's happened, that this, this relationship means something. But not to be cynical or somehow thinking that commitment is all relative, that there's nothing about commitment that's meaningful or useful. And I think over time, certainly now having been married for 14 years, um, but even, even at that time, before I got married and talking to Wynne, just getting some clarity about what the middle way is. Like really seeing that marriage or commitment, it's a skillful means. It's like a, it's, a useful, it's something that can be useful if it's fully conscious and voluntary. Like, we really understand what it is and what it isn't. And because of that understanding, we really take it on because of how we understand that it will uh, will support our life. And it specifically support awakening, understanding. And for me, the way I understood that is, I mean, having practiced for a while at that point, this was in 93, the year we got married. So the year, a couple years before that, as we were reflecting about getting married, um, just understanding some things about my mind, like uh, not being in a committed relationship, meant my mind was always thinking about the possibility of hooking up with somebody, you know, and that that was endless, and that every time somebody was attractive, and you know, in my view, then that sort of triggered this sort of primitive uh, uh, sort of pattern. As Ajahn Sameto or Ajahn Amaro, a brother monk of Ajahn Samedo, says in terms of defining or describing human minds, or actually animal minds really, he says there's, there's really one question that gets repeated over and over again, which is, can I mate with it? Can I eat it? Will it eat me? <laughs> and basically that's what we do. We move through life with that view. You know, is this going to eat me, destroy me, hurt me in some way? Is this something I can mate with? Is this something that I can eat, get something from? And uh, just seeing that particular strand, you know, around her intimate relations and how much weight it is to constantly be thinking about that and what a relief it is to consciously make a commitment, because there was an understanding in my my mind that this person was a trustworthy person, and and I and I don't think this is in any way uh, um, takes anything away from our relationship, which I consider a really healthy, intimate relationship. To say that this person was good enough to give myself to completely or to practice giving myself to. It's like instead of like this ideal of finding the perfect person it's like maybe this person is good enough to just say now I'm done. No, I'm not saying that it's going to last forever, who knows. But my practice is is being in a committed relationship means to me that it's like saying now I'm done. I've made that choice. This is where I direct my sexual energy. This is where I direct my any kind of neediness to be in a committed relationship. This is where I try to direct it. And it's like really nice to have that part of my life simplified to some degree. I mean, to the degree I can practice that effectively. It feels really nice to have made that commitment, that conscious commitment. And I don't feel like I have this sort of idealistic you know, concept of the perfect marriage. That it's actually really pragmatic to take somebody that you trust enough and to just practice being committed to that person. Without the idea that there might... My sense is there's probably a lot of people I I could have a committed relationship with. Certainly, these days, because of how easy it is to you know, hook up and get unhooked. We prove it. It's being proved all the time. People have had many healthy intimate relationships in their life, a number of people have. So, clearly that's possible. There isn't this, you know, notion that there's one person for us. But that doesn't mean it isn't skillful to practice as if this is the person. Not that it's actually the person, but that you're going to live as if this is the person. Because it simplifies our lives to have that commitment, that view. It just makes it easier. It allows our mind to do other things than always wondering if this is the right person. So, and it's been really helpful then when challenging things come up in my relationship with my partner. You know, and of course, I do. It, it does sometimes occur to me, <laughs> did I make a mistake? But not too often. And when when that does get challenged, I just I remind myself that uh, how confusing it is to be looking for the right person. How distracting it is to be looking for the right person. And, and just to open my mind a little bit, like, well, maybe this, is, this relationship is good enough. Maybe this relationship can be made to be good enough. Can take care of what needs these program needs that we have for intimacy, for connection. And see we can do the same with any anything. I mean we could I could have said the same thing in terms of like our connection with a spiritual organization like Common Ground or a spiritual tradition that you might be connected with or your family of origin, you know, dealing with your parents and siblings, with your country, your community, your political party. Your job, you know, your sexual orientation. It's like we could constantly be debating, am I this, am I that? And sometimes it's nice just to sort of go, choose a direction, if we can do it without feeling that it's forced on us. So we're doing it in a way like an experiment in truth. Well, let's just see if this commitment simplifies my life in a wholesome way so that the mind, the heart can address what maybe we, we won't address when we're obsessed or busy on the more surface level of our life if we address those levels then we can use our life, our relationships, our job all of our activity to do a deeper reflection like how suffering arises and how suffering ceases One of the ways that Ajahn Sumedho talks about this, in terms of relationships, then once we've practiced making these commitments, then we get to learn some things. Like we begin to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in our commitments, like we make a commitment to a particular job, let's say, or a particular partner, then we can begin to reflect on the imbalances in our mind and heart like how we like to be the domineering person or we like to be the victim So that gets shown up in certain relationships, right? And then that's really useful to see and if we didn't really stick with that relationship as soon as something disturbing came up we'd run, we'd go look for a better relationship and we'd never really have the opportunity to see that pattern in the mind clearly So, this is one of the advantages of staying put when it makes sense. I'll read a little bit more from his book. He says uh, this is the section called Using Opposites for Spiritual Development. And in that section, he says. You find that just the fact that you have a female body or a male body doesn't mean that everything about you is totally female or totally male. What we need to open up to in spiritual development is the opposite. A man needs to open up to the female within, and a woman needs to open up to the male. So instead of thinking about these in terms of classic uh, sexual definitions, we can just think of them in terms of two poles of personalities. Like from receptive to aggressive as two poles. And he goes on to talk about that. This is not an easy thing to do, but we can use the external presence of the opposite gender to help in our practice. When a man sees a woman or a woman sees a man, they can use the external characteristics as reminders. In a monastic community where there are monks and nuns, rather than getting involved in relationships, monks can see the external female, they can begin to acknowledge the feminine qualities that they find internally. And for the nuns it's the same. They can find the masculine qualities within. In my own experience as a monk, from the masculine side, is that men usually have a lot of drive. They are quite aggressive and have a lot of willpower. So you often find monks becoming internally aggressive towards themselves. They try to exterminate anger, destroy fear, wipe out jealousy, and annihilate lust. But where does that get you? You get so stiff that your head aches. You become internally sterilized, and you're just dried up like a desert. There is nothing, no emotion, just willpower sitting there. You develop a lot of strength that way, because it does take a lot of strength to maintain that attitude for any length of time. But it is also also very fragile, in the sense that it can be easily upset. It becomes very dependent on blind will and not wisdom or love not on anything that is malleable, flexible, or receptive. So until a monk begins to open up to the inner female, he has no balance. For a man to learn to be receptive, sensitive being, to be a, sens- to be a receptive, sensitive being, he has to stop using his willpower and forcing issues all the time. He has to let go of things and become kind, gentle, and patient with himself and with others. He needs to learn how to be extremely patient with the people he finds irritating. So, of course, we have to translate that a little bit because, as he says there too, it's not so much a matter of our particular, um, you know, whether we're physically a male or physically a female, but just what personality attributes dominate for us and what we need to bring things in balance. And this, I think, is really useful in terms of understanding spiritual life, or at least one aspect of spiritual life, is that we're using our relationship in the world to create balance. Everything from something subtle like our meditation practice to the more gross things like what we do for our livelihood, the kinds of people we seek out for our intimate partners, we look at all of those activities As a way of developing greater balance. Now, that's not often what happens. So, when we're not paying attention, when we're not living consciously, we do just the opposite. We seek things in the world uh, not to understand, not to develop internally balance, but we create balance like uh, an aggressor finds a victim. Well, that's not a healthy balance, right? What we want to do is, uh, if we have that aggressive energy developed in us, and there's nothing, it's only wrong when it's out of balance. So if we have that, then what we want to notice is our need for a victim, you know, a need for an issue to prove ourselves, or whatever it is, so that we can uh, illuminate the imbalance in the heart. We can see that. So just like in terms of my relationship with Wynne, this acts out, this is really clear to me now, because I have a lot of that aggressive energy. Some people don't see it, but if you knew me well, you'd, you'd probably see it more. And uh, so I have a lot of that, and Wynne has a lot of the receptive energy. Um, she also has a lot of strong forward energy, it's just not the on the surface for her. And I have a lot of receptive energy, but it's just not on the surface for me. So sometimes in our relationship, what happens, especially when, I'm, when we're together more blind, not so conscious, is we, we just fall into what's on the surface, where I have that sort of aggressive energy and she has that receptive energy. But when I'm more conscious, then I'm really aware, when I see when, I'm really aware of that, that surface, that very developed surface quality of receptivity. And what it does, it's like there's a sympathetic resonance. Like, I begin to, as I, if I can see it clearly in her, that means I can, see it, I can begin to see it in me. I know what it is. So if I can intuitively recognize receptivity, then I can begin to feel it, see it here. It feels good. It feels appropriate. It feels like things are coming into balance. And it's not like that aggressive strength is bad. It just needs to be brought into balance. It doesn't even need need to be diminished. It's just the receptive side needs to be strengthened, brought out into the open. It's already there. All of these characteristics are there in seed form. And we just need to use our relationships in the world to bring the personality into balance. And then the interesting thing is, the more the personality comes into balance, the less there's a dependence on our relationship in the world, like using our job to prove something to ourselves, or using our relationships to kind of take care of some emotional neediness. Because the system, this personality system, is more in balance. And then our participation in the world can be much more about compassion or taking care of all things, and less about blindly trying to um, fill some hole, you know, meet some need. Which is what we end up doing when there's not a lot of balance. So I think I'll leave it here so that we can talk together for the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes, see what people have to say. Um, Could somebody turn the lights on a little brighter so that we can see each other? The switches are over the table there. Great. Thanks. So what comes to mind? Do you have any questions or comments from your own practice, your own lives, that you'd like to share with the group? Mm David? David?
1: It was interesting because you were talking about that, and I was thinking about that this morning. It <laughs> helped me to sort of recognize it or to, to envision that those moments as objects, mm-hmm. something that we have a choice to stay
0: in or try to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think, a really important point that these tendencies of our mind are just tendencies, that, and our, one of our tendencies is to take these tendencies personally, these impulses personally. We're basically giving them, imputing to them something that they don't deserve. They're just inclinations in the mind, and if we take them personally, we're watering them, and they come, they kind of get reinforced, they become bigger, they look more real. But we, we, we don't have to water them. And the way we practice not watering them is we just see them as impulses and practice not being confused. So like if I'm sort of more in the surface and and less conscious, then that aggressive energy, I see it and I'll take it personally. So when I feel that sort of forward, aggressive, arrogant kind of energy, then it just will look appropriate. It would just seem appropriate to act it out in the world. But if I see that in an impersonal way, that it's just a tendency, it's just a conditioned habit in the mind, it's just what it is. It isn't mark. it's just a tendency that's been conditioned. It's impersonal. It's much easier to feel the impulse without having to act it out. And then I can look for a more wholesome, more balanced impulse to bring it to action. Mm-hmm. Leslie?
1: I really appreciate you sharing it, your own situation. Um, I can really understand or relate to it especially recently. And that whole idea of receptive rather than passive feels better to me. I mean, I need to really work on that perspective piece too. But I wondered if you've got any other, um, you know, it doesn't feel like a very good balance right now in that, in that way. And I wondered if there's anything else that you would suggest in terms of, like, it helps to hear the modeling that I was looking for, but anything else that you would suggest to kind of focus in on that area a little bit more?
0: Get some guidance. Yeah, I mean, like I was talking about, um, we have so many different relationships in so many different parts of our lives. And once we understand, like, what tends to be out of balance then we can, we can consciously choose to get involved in the world, in certain relationships, that might allow us to develop what's out of balance. So you can think about it that way, like particular relationships that already exist or developing other relationships to work, to commitments, that might help you water the seeds that need to be watered and not water other seeds. And this is also true with relationships you might need to abandon, that that just because of the particular nature of this relationship and the dynamic and how much momentum it has, what's going to be watered isn't helpful. So those are relationships we might need to step back from for a while, or forever even. And it's not that they're absolutely bad, it's just that given what's out of balance, given the work that needs to be done, it's not going to be so easy to do that work here. And we can just recognize that in a very non-judgmental way. And that's actually a nice way to deal with breakups. It's like not thinking that that we have to turn the other person into bad because if the relationship doesn't make sense anymore, it doesn't mean that person's bad or has to be evil. It just means that in the process of being together, what we observe being developed does not correspond to my aspiration for my life. It's not what I'm hoping to develop in this life. And we can talk to the per- other person about that because it may not be developing what he or she wants to develop in their life, either. It might be a mutual conclusion. Not always, of course, but sometimes. That's
1: really helpful. I'm thinking about it's in a job situation, but it's still... A yeah, it would be the same. For-
0: Yeah, and you know, when we're not conscious, we tend to get uh, magnetically drawn to what's already overdeveloped. That's just how it is. And so we know this, you know, like in, when we look at the, how many jobs we had in the, the same sort of vein or how many relationships. Or I've noticed that, I especially noticed this when I was a young man, um, like in college, how many times I got into discussions, and they were always the same. I mean, the topic might be different. But the dynamic was always the same and finally it just sort of dawned on me that you know there was something about my personality and of course other people's personalities and it was like a magnetic draw you know and it's like it was like a strange deja vu feeling like I've been here done this why do I keep repeating this and we probably can notice that in a lot of places in our lives i certainly noticed that in my relationship with win you know like we're in the same dynamic, and we've been in it a million times. And it's a little bit like that movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's like, we're going to keep showing up in this situation until we get it right, until we don't get caught, don't get, uh, sort of, do it in a habitual way. What else comes to mind for people? <laughs> well, I don't know your name. Sorry, Betsy. Betsy. Well,
1: um, what I found is really Idea of um, commitment, you know, commitment to something and how that can free you. And I've I really struggled with commitment on a lot of levels. This city I want to live in, this, you know, uh, do I, do I even want to do that this weekend, <laughs> you know, on the very basic level of, of commitment, and I've become more aware of that, but uh, it's difficult. for me. And um, so when you were talking about, um, you know, that it's enough, like, like, how to come, I guess I was curious of speaking of that in different areas of your life, how to work through that process of, the, in other words, you said you have to, you have to choose. Mm-hmm. It's like, I never choose. Like, the one thing that happened to me. And uh, what I would say is, I don't know if I have commitment, I, I mean, I do, I'm totally dedicated to it, i almost nine, but what I've developed through that is discipline. So I don't feel like doing laundry, I don't feel like that, I don't feel like so this is what has to be done. And it's the only area in my life I feel like. Anyway, I um, think. And me, it, for me, it's like being a mother is something I would never retreat about. Uh, that's very uh, primitive. Mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that I choose it. It's just, yeah. I, I, it's nothing I have to choose. But maybe if I'm doing a dance, <laughs> yeah. I, I would have thought about it. but I was wondering if you could speak
0: to that process choosing or voluntarily voluntarily committing yeah because you can do that now I mean you can just let it be a primitive automatic uh, commitment or you can bring it on the level of your conscious participation and you can consciously acknowledge that I am committed to this other being I'm committed to taking responsibility for this other being I'm committed to doing the best And then you can receive the benefits of that commitment. You can learn from it. And you can then notice the power of that commitment to sort of get you through those times when you'd rather be doing something else. You know, you can see that. But you have to see it here. You have to see what is useful about the commitment here. Like, what it has brought you. Like, what a relief. I mean, as much as it's a pain in the butt to have to be responsible for all that stuff that you have to be responsible for as a mother, but also you can just see what it's brought you, the commitment. Like, just the the fact that you don't have as many choices to pursue your personal wishes, and that normally would seem very afflictive to us. Like, I don't want to lose all those opportunities. But there's something really nice about losing those opportunities, to have your life defined. You know what your life is about. There's something really nice to know what your life is about. My life is about being a mom, first and foremost. And so, then, when you really get that, see, because otherwise, we're just going to assume that life is about pursuing what the ego wants. But this really tells you something else. When you see the joy... That comes with being trapped as a parent, right? Because you're trapped. When you when you see that, then then it sort of uh, it undermines this other view of the ego. And so the, the, this is what he points to. That one of the quotes that I read, where we're in the society now, especially where there's a, really a cult of individualism, and and it's like we it's like we have to it's like such a oppressive burden like not only do we have to figure out like how we who we are uh, according to like how we dress and you know, how we present ourselves are we just sort of casual cool or this kind of cool or but even like in terms of our food, we have to decide like am i a, an organic type or am I a, you know this kind of and everything sort of means something the kind of music we listen to and the kind of political views that we have, and the kind of car, are you a hybrid person, or, you know, are you this, or, you know... It's like all these things start to mean something, and uh, we can become hyper-conscious of, like, the meaning of everything we think and do. And it's such a relief to move beyond that, or at least to some degree, and not see that as the, the route toward happiness. Minutes left. If anybody has a thought to share, I could share something Mm -hmm. about
2: uh, making choices. um, I decided to move from St. Paul to Minneapolis last year, well, actually six months ago, and decided to move into a smaller space and simplify my life. And I also uh, in getting ready to move, I realized that uh, my artwork, which I do in my spare time, I'm one of those artists who has too many ideas and too many projects going, uh, which I am happy about because many artists have had enough or they can't think of what they ought to do. But I came to the realization that, given my estimated life. And I couldn't finish everything I had going. No way. <laughs> and I had to choose what I was going to take with me and what I didn't. And that was so simple. That was so helpful to just say, okay, those are nice ideas, but maybe another lifetime. Uh, uh, so that's what I mm-hmm. wanted to share.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Bonnie. Why don't we let it rest there? We can.